today on It's Time. The reason why you find ornate temples around the world to various gods is they believe their God lives in those boxes. Listen, your God is much bigger than any box. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through the book of Exodus. So turn there in your Bible and follow along with Pastor Mike. Good morning. If you have your Bible, I can invite you to open them to the book of Exodus, chapter 36. We're going to finish this book this morning and looking at it, how it's relevant for us today. You know, whenever I look at the Bible, I realize that God didn't just put these words in a book to make the book big, but actually they mean something so important. As you remember, as we've been studying through the book of Exodus, we remember the children of Israel went down, sojourned in Egypt for about 400 and some years. They cried out to God as the Egyptians made them slaves. God sent Moses to them the first time. They rejected him. And so then the Bible says he lived on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, fearing for his life when he killed an Egyptian guard. And then God spoke to him out of a burning bush, and he said to him, go set my people free. Moses said to the, to God, who shall I say sent me? When the children of Israel asked, who's sending you to deliver us from Egypt? God said out of the burning bush, tell them the I am sent you. Not I was, not I will be, but the I am. Present tense, all inclusive. It's interesting that as we study in the book of John, chapter 8, when they were asking about Jesus, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. And the Pharisee said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was... I am. The same exact words concerning what God spoke to Moses, Jesus said that he was. At that point, John 8, 59, it says they picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God. Now, why is that important? We realize the children of Israel then were delivered by Moses out of Egypt. They were under Egyptian law. But now, as they come out of Egypt, they're going to come under new laws. You as well, before you were born again, you lived under the law of the world. And the law of the world says, if I want it, I take it. Whatever feels good, do it. That's the old sin nature. And it's interesting in the Bible that it compares our old sin nature to the life in Egypt. 
And we need a deliverer to take us from that slavery through the Red Sea, a type of baptism, into and on our way to the promised land. Now, according to God's word, God then gave them the new way to live. Not the old way, not the serving the gods of Egypt, but God gave then to them a new way to live. That same thing that God gives to us. And so we remember that Moses goes up on the mount, receives the Ten Commandments, in which everything that Moses received, the children of Israel, 40 days prior, heard God audibly from the Mount of Mount Sinai, at the base of Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Now, the Bible tells us that they were the schoolmaster in the book of Galatians that brought us to Christ. In other words, no one can live under the Ten Commandments, friends. We might do good for a while, but then Jesus said, if you thought it in your heart, you've done it. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you stop to think about all the things that really a holy, righteous God wants from us, we realize we're blowing it. We try, but we still fail. That's why the book of Galatians says that we don't live under the law. The law, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws are the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. It shows you and me how desperately we need a Savior. Now, that offense to God, I believe, is etched into our soul from the very beginning. I believe that 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 uh, separation between man and God we know about. And I believe this is why within all people, there's a quest in some way to find the meaning of life, to find God. In other words, that purpose you live for. And so the Bible tells us that God in his love sent Jesus to fulfill the righteous requirements of... There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments, friend, if you look at it. I mean, theologically, theoretically, I could agree with everything it says. Don't steal. I think that's good. I don't want somebody to steal from me. Don't covet. I don't want somebody to take what I have or want what I have. I I don't want to lie. I don't want anybody to lie to me. Theoretically, there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. But what's... The problem is, the Bible says, it's not within us to live righteously. Why is that? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they sold our flesh into slavery. It's not within us to be good. Haven't you ever looked at your kids and said, can't you just be good? I say that a lot. Can't you just be good? And they'll look at you and they'll say yes. And then less than three minutes later, they're pulling each other's hair. What's wrong with you? Why do you do this? And and they look at you so innocently like they would never do anything wrong. And this is the way we look at God. And then just like the Ten Commandments was given at Mount Sinai, 40 days later, Moses comes down out of the mountain and they're dancing around naked around a golden calf having orgies. Oh, man! And you think, what's wrong with people? Moses gets mad. He throws the tablets down. He breaks them. 
which they had already broken them already, so I guess he just gave them what they wanted. Then he goes back up, and God gives him another copy, and he comes down out of the mountain, and there they begin to understand, I believe, they're going to live under a new set of laws. Friends, when we come to Christ, we live under the law of love. There's a big difference. Rather than being the have-tos, it's the I-want-tos. As we come to Exodus 36, we find here that God is giving to Moses the outline of the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the curtains, all that that goes in the temple. Somebody might say, well, how is that relevant to us today? In every way. Because the Bible says, God does not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. In our town here, we have the LDS temple, we have the Islamic temple, we have a lot of temples running around here. But the Bible says God won't dwell in those. Now, I know they believe that, but if you read your Bible, you would know that God dwells in you. Now, in the Old Testament, something interesting, the the Bible always says that God will dwell with them. He will walk with them. But something interesting that we find as we study Scripture In the New Testament, being the supreme sacrifice was made, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, which completely removes the sin, not covering it like the animals, the blood of animals and and goats and birds and stuff like that in the Old Testament, according to Levitical law, what was prescribed for the particular sin. But now God has cleansed us. The Bible tells us, He dwells in you and me. It doesn't say that ever in the Old Testament. He said he would dwell with them, but in the New Testament, it says he'll dwell in them. Do you know there's a big difference of being with and being in? God says, I will dwell in you. Why was that not an issue in the Old Testament? There's one vague thing, and I think it's like Ezekiel 37 But it's futuristic about living in them, but I will make them. They weren't at that time, the people of Israel. But God says he's going to dwell in you. Now, what does that mean? That means everywhere you go, God goes. I like that. In other words, you bring a part of heaven, at least we should, everywhere we go. You see, there are religions around. Your Middle Eastern religions, Hinduism, uh, um, Mormonism, all these different isms that are out there say that you can become God. That was the lie that the serpent told Eve in the garden. Eat of the tree, you'll become as God. That is a quest. The lie has been haunting man ever since. You see, I'll never be God. You'll never be God. But God will live in you. And friends, that's why this is important that we read. Because when we look at Ezekiel 37, where God says, I will dwell with them, God says in the New Testament, 
I will dwell in them. God wants to dwell inside of you. Now, when I look at this, and I look at the prescription that God gave to Moses on how he wanted the Ark of the Covenant made, how he wanted the, 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 the veil made, the curtains, all the implements of worship inside the tabernacle of meeting. That's where God says, that's where I'll meet you. God lives in you. He will not dwell in buildings. He lives in you. In other words, when we all walk out of here, God goes with us. Now, I I think it's nice we have a nice box to be in and stay out of the weather. And we have that here in Idaho, if you haven't noticed. But the thing is, we have a good box. That's all right. But that's all any building on this earth is. The reason why you find ornate temples around the world to various gods, and I say that plural because it's not the true and living God, it's gods of this world, is they believe their God lives in those boxes. Listen, your God is much bigger than any box. God says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. I rest my feet on it. What building, David, will you build for me? You see, this is why this is important. When you realize your importance to the kingdom of God, God doesn't dwell in buildings He dwells in you. And so therefore, God's focus is not external on the building, but on the internal on you. In Exodus 36, let's pray. Father, as we go to your word, we ask you that you would speak to us. And you would cause us to understand what you endeavor to do in us, through us, for us in these days that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. And Abiezel and Elohim and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all the Lord has commanded. I look at this verse, and this is interesting to me. Because you belong to God, God puts in you his knowledge and his wisdom. I like that. I don't know if you've ever done anything, and when you're done looking at it, You look at it and you say, how in the world did I ever have the smarts to do that? Has has anybody ever done that? I have. I look at some of the things in my life I've done and I go, how did I ever figure that out? What's God? See, God gives you wisdom. Sometimes when I walk through CSN at night and I look at all the equipment and everything and think about over 500 radio stations i look and i just shake my head and i said god how did you ever do that it's beyond my understanding of things but god puts in us his purpose his wisdom to bring about his desired result that's why when you become a christian you're not saved to set you're saved to be part an active part of god's hand in this world again god doesn't dwell in buildings made with men's hands very clear in the scripture repeatedly 
many times, God will not dwell in buildings. He dwells in you. That's why the building, whether we're in a nice one like this one, or maybe we're out in the wilderness, it doesn't make any difference because God in you, the hope of glory. Now, these people come to Moses. They're equipped supernaturally. Now, now something to remember. And when we get up to Pentecost Sunday, which is coming up here next few weeks, when we get to Pentecost Sunday, what is really interesting about the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you as an individual, as a, as a human being, as a Christian, you have, I believe, God-given talents. Now, I don't completely understand all of that. I don't know how some people can pick up a guitar or sit down at a piano. And, and, and if you're a mechanic and you're not musically orientated, let me just share this with you. When you're working on a car, you look at a water pump or you're looking at a carburetor and you want to take it off or an intake manifold or whatever, and you go, oh, that's a 14-millimeter bolt, or that's a half-inch bolt, or that's 916. You know exactly when you go to the toolbox to get that wrench, that 916 wrench, to take off that 9... Now, nobody said, now get down there with a little measurement and measure that bolt and see if it's 19 millimeters or 17 or whatever it is. You just look at it and say, oh, that's 14 millimeter. You know what it is. You know what tool you need to turn the nut. Musicians, similar, or any other craft, they work the same way. They know, I want to hear the, I want to hear the note C and a B flat, and, and, and they know just where to put their fingers on this, and they get the note they want. Just like a mechanic knows which tool to get to turn the bolt. Gifts from God, you were born with. That's neat. And when you surrender those to God, God then uses those gifts to further the kingdom of heaven. I look at people like Greg Laurie as an example, who God, I, 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 I've known Greg over the years, uh, and, and uh, I remember one time we went out to dinner and, and I was looking through his Bible. And on the margins of his Bible, there's cartoons. He, he's an artist, and he draws little pictures. And I thought, that's really neat, because he used his ability to make people laugh for the kingdom of heaven. I look at other people who have those gifts, maybe a Jerry Seinfeld or something like that, but they're not using their gift to further the kingdom of heaven. They're furthering their own kingdom. When you have been gifted with certain things, when you use those gifts to further the kingdom of heaven, great is your reward in heaven. But then there's something else. There is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we find in Acts chapter 2, further uh, exemplified in, in 1 Corinthians 12, and 13 and 14, where God supernaturally gives you more gifts to further the kingdom of heaven. Now, I look at that. So you have your natural ability, you have your supernatural abilities, and God puts those in you like we're reading about right now. Verse 2, then Moses called Behaziel and Ahoah, and every gifted artisan 
in whom the heart of the Lord has put wisdom. In that, the Lord has put wisdom in these people. Put it in you, me. Everyone whose heart was stirred to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing him free will offerings every morning. So as Moses reveals what God had told him, this tabernacle of meeting, the temple, and eventually the temple that would be built, the people began to bring things. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work that he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work of the Lord, as the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave the commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were were restrained from giving, literally, the material that they had was sufficient to do the work, to be done. Indeed, they had too much. Wow. God moved on their heart to do this. Now, the subsequent chapters, as we would look here, verse uh, uh, chapter uh, 37 uh, deals with the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, uh, the altar of incense. 38 deals with the altar of the burnt offerings, the court, uh, the lavaliers, all these different things until we get to the very last chapter. So let's go to Exodus 40 and we're going to look at verse 34. So you have the skilled craftsmen, you have the resources to do it, There was so much, Moses said, okay, enough's enough. Thank you very much. God has enough here. And so they went to work. They built it. And then in verse 34 of Exodus 40, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because of the cloud rested above it and the cloud of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory of the Lord just was overwhelming in the place. Now, I I like this because it's talking about the place of meeting where God would dwell with his people, okay? There was a cloud over them. Now, notice a little bit more here. When the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So here... God gives Moses how to build this thing. He builds it. The arts, the, the, the craftsmen came in, built it as it was built. Then God communicates to them through it. When the cloud was there, you stay. When the cloud is lifted, you go. Now, I, I think that's kind of interesting because in the wilderness, by the way, if you've ever been out and 
Idaho desert at night, even in the summertime, it can get quite chilly. So the, the cloud of fire was a kind of, the pillar of fire was kind of a nice thing to keep people warm at night. And we also remember that cloud and that fire is what led the children of Israel. So when it would lift from the sanctuary, it would go over and direct the people where to go. Now, staying cool in the shade. You see, that cloud shielded them from the hot summer sun. Hot winter sun. Well, I mean, they're in the Middle East there, it's, it's pretty warm year-round. But at night it gets cold. And so that shade kept them where God wanted them to go. And then at night, God kept them warm by the pillar of fire. Now, what is amazing to me is if you go to Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, the Bible says something like cloven tongues of fire appeared above their head. Isn't that amazing? Here we find in the tabernacle of meeting where God would dwell with his people, There was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And then God says, I will not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. All the things that are in heaven, all the things that are on earth that God has made, yet God will not dwell in buildings. He'll dwell in you. Then in Acts chapter 2, you find God with that fire above their head. The same thing. You see, God takes great pleasure living in you. But I know a lot of times we might say, well, God, why would you want to live with me? I'm a scuzz bag. You know what? In ourselves, we are. There's nothing holy about us. I always think it's interesting. I see people sometimes thinking they're more spiritual than you are. Well, that just shows you they haven't read the Bible. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.